Hello and welcome to the MLS Soccer Show. I'm your co-host, Tim Crean, the Crean of Kalen Crean. With me, as always, is Mike Calendrilla. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing what it do. I'm just coming off a cruise. I'm getting my sea legs back, but I was able to watch a little bit in the sports bar on a cruise. A lot of highlights, so I've got plenty to talk about and plenty to complain about, Tim. Excellent. And uh, as always, Mr. Producer, Andrew Kula. Andrew, how are you? Hey, I'm doing okay. I've got a lot to complain about because I'm not coming off a cruise. So I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, we're not all that lucky. Very good. Well, we'll get your complaints, questions, hot takes in a little bit. But for now, we will uh, say goodbye. And me and Mike are going to jump in to the games of the week this week. There was uh, three big ones we're going to talk about, starting with uh, one of the earlier games of the weekend, the Seattle Sounders 3 LA Galaxy 2, a goal explosion. Uh, very interesting and exciting game to talk about. So, Mike, why don't you kick us off with your thoughts on the Sounders versus the Galaxy? Absolutely. Sounders finally got their 200th MLS win in history. Became the fastest team to achieve that mile marker, doing it in seven fewer games than the LA Galaxy of, of old. The Beckhams. Uh, to do it, they needed to come from behind in a 3-2 win, as Tim just mentioned, getting goals from Jordan, the Bloat, Morris, Freddie Montero, and Xavier Aranga. Coach Brian Smetzer and company snapped their nine-game MLS losing streak, which dated back to last October 9th. First, the Vancouver Whitecaps, who are just terrible this year. Um, honestly, it was a pretty decent game. Sounders have only lost now one of their past 14 matches against the Galaxy and are riding a seven-game unbeaten streak against their former team that just constantly used to have their number. Uh, the last time they actually that the Sounders started the regular season, season with consecutive losses was 2018, which was also the last time they advanced to the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals. Who doesn't love themselves from CONCACAF Champions League? Me. I don't I don't care for it at all. I, I don't. I'm sorry, Tim. I know your team's going to the semifinals, but it doesn't matter. Overall, it was a weird game. It was a good game, but it was a weird game, uh, especially in the 45th minute. Freddie Montero drew and converted a penalty in first right in first half stoppage time. Uh, basically, and this is where it gets weird, he was fending off Albert Rusnak for the opportunity. So these two basically were going nose-to-nose because Rusnak wanted to take the PK, Montero wanted to take the PK, he was the one that got pulled down in the box. So after a little bit of deliberation and pushing, um, they decided that it was going to be uh, Montero that was going to take it, and luckily he did, he scored. Uh, as for my nemesis, my man, I love you, I do, it's just, unfortunately, we just not seeing eye to eye these days. Jordan Morris, your first MLS goal since 2020, and we know that's because of knee injuries and such. Uh, he cleaned up a deflected ball off a corner, uh, it was the third goal in all competitions this year, again, we're, we're, we're talking about CONCACAF League. Uh, not a fantastic goal, if you got to see it, considering that the ball basically felt his feet off a corner that was deflected then Morris falls to the ground and breakdanced his way into the net um ugly so ugly but you know what we're not in the scorebook it all looks the same so it's a goal uh I don't really again if you didn't watch this game you wouldn't understand how the Galaxy couldn't win it was 64 to 36 percent possession in favor of Galaxy 14 to 8 shots for the Galaxy um there's a new stat this is pretty interesting I just learned the Galaxy missed Three big opportunities. Uh, this is something uh, that is from our friends at fotmob.com. Um, so, yeah, so there's something you learn every day. A big opportunity missed. There you go. Uh, it was also 6-1 to one on corners for Galaxy. And lastly, the huge, um, I guess, missed opportunity for the Galaxy was 494 passes completed, 
78% accurate for 250 to Seattle, which is 78% accurate. So taking that all into consideration, Jim, Tim, what the heck went wrong for the Galaxy besides the fact that their defense was just non-existent? Well, right. We'll talk more about the Galaxy in detail in a minute, and I have a lot more to say about that. But just let me put a bow on the Sounders here. Uh, it was an impressive professional win from one of the best teams in the MLS. Uh, yes, the possession stats should worry Sounders fans a lot. I mean, it was a dominant performance by the LA Galaxy, but the defense held tight. Uh, they weren't. They didn't give up uh, too many chances. I think all in all, they did a, a really good job. So uh, the Sounders won the game. You're not gonna. You're not gonna dominate every game and, and the games that aren't going your way, you have to take advantage of the chances that are presented to you. And Seattle did that. Um, so they played good defense and that's what you, all you can hope for in a game like this. There's, there will be better days for the Seattle Sounders ahead, but uh, getting three points when you don't really deserve it is something that uh, you, you shouldn't be too upset about. And uh, just on another note, the, uh, the purple haze, Jimi Hendrix inspired jerseys uh, were fantastic for us, uh, for Seattle. Yeah, they really are. I know Andrew's a big fan of those. Um, I I talked about it real quick. The defense, they succumbed to so many areas. Uh, Julian Arango uh, had a miserable first half. Nick DePoy joined him in the second half, having a miserable game. Uh, Galaxy just continued to look vulnerable on set pieces, and that has been their bugaboo uh, for years now, and it's something that they have just not been able to fix, and I don't understand why. I mean, their their man-marking was poor. They were watching the ball at, at during the set pieces overall. So just a really bad job uh, on the defensive end. I will give, you know, at least Chicharito, it looks like he's back in the good graces. Uh, again, not a beautiful shot, but he was, you know, he was where he needed to be in the box when he scored. They basically, um, they just gave him too much space and you cannot give, you know, major league soccer players, let alone a guy like Chicharito, uh, that much space in the box. He had some good runs, good finishes on the first goal, um, a decent cross in the 35th. So he really did have his chances. And then the guy that I was actually really pleased to see play well was was Douglas Costa he sent in a dangerous cross in the 40th minute uh, that Chicharito just missed and he did score his first MLS goal on a deflection from a free kick to start the second half overall um, he really did well he served up a nice cross that Depoy missed flat out in the 57th minute and look basically he just did his job that's why he was brought in as as a DP I really liked his his link up play and the guy that's also been pretty outstanding to start the season is Raheem Edwards three assists three games so those three guys going forward looking really nice uh your boy Efron Ramirez ooh, little bit came back down to earth this week so but you know we'll chalk that up to him being 19 so um you know I'm not gonna worry about the Galaxy I think they still got a lot going on Seattle's a good team uh whether or not you know they're in a hot take or not it all depends but uh it it was a good game I think these are two good teams that if they can stay consistent will you know possibly meet in the playoffs yeah absolutely this game was all about the galaxy I mean they dominated they scored and they still lost yes they had 14 shots to eight from Seattle but they only put three on target versus four that Seattle put on target and so that getting quality shots is is just is more important usually than getting uh, just a barrage of shots. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, that was not good. But individually, a lot of players were good. Edwards was good, as you mentioned. Chicharito was good. Douglas Costa was good. I thought Efren Alvarez uh, was better than you thought. Uh, he, yeah, and he, I mean, he had a decent game. But your one of your, another one of your nemesis is that Kevin Cabral was not good. And the center backs were not good. And, you know, I want to go on a little bit of a tangent here because, and this is something that someone who listened to uh, my old podcast, The Citizen Abroad, would know that I talk about quite a bit, is that soccer is a weak link sport, right? 
Uh, it's a it's a theory I stole from Malcolm Gladwell, who stole it from someone else. But basically, the idea is there's strong link sports and there's weak link sports, right? So, soccer with 11 people on the pitch with goals in there's with so few goals scored every match, uh, the weakest link is going to cost you the game more time than the strongest link on your team is going to win you the game. Basketball, on the other hand, is a strong link sport, right? The the best player on the court because there's only 10 players uh, and there's so many points scored. So one one uh, mistake is not going to kill you in a basketball game. So the team with the best player usually wins. That's why, you know, in, in LeBron's first time in Cleveland, he can make it to the finals with uh, Ricky Davis and Zeldrunas Ilgaskis and, and those guys, you know? So it, soccer is a weak link sport and... That's the problem with the Galaxy is they have some really weak links on this team. As much talent as they have at the top, the the center backs are a huge problem and Cabral is a huge problem. I mean, Cabral did hit the post on a, on a nice shot that could have uh, tied the game at some point, but that's uh, it is what it is, and, and they need to figure out how to get their best 11 on the field if they hope to win games like this where they dominate, but they don't uh, ultimately score. So, yeah, back to the game. I, did, I thought Alvarez was good all game. I mean, in, and at the very end, he almost scored a carbon copy goal as to the one that he... Oops, he almost scored a carbon copy goal. Uh, I don't know what that was, but uh, if you heard that. But uh, just like the one he scored against Charlotte, it was... it just This one just nicked off the top of the corner post. It was an amazing shot. And again, that would have tied it too. And then one more problem for the LA Galaxy is as good as Chicharito was, he has such bad body language. Every time he doesn't score, he turns around, he throws his arms up in the air, he starts yelling at his teammates, at the referees, and, you know, this time it hurt him. I forget if it was at the end of the first half or the beginning of the second, but one of the times he did that, he, he missed the chance, he started yelling at someone, but the ball went right out to the wing, and the ball came back in on a low cross, and Chicharito wasn't ready for it. He wasn't crashing the net because he was screaming at someone. So your best player can't be throwing temper tantrums when there's a chance to score, and Chicharito needs to cut that out. That's... uh your star player just has to do better than that. Yeah, well, as a fan of the U.S. men's national team who has watched many a game against the Mexican national team, we know that that kind of is a <laughs> bit of a thing that they teach down it there. Is. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's just um, when it's going good, it's real good. And when it's going bad, you don't want to be uh, near anything uh, that has to do with that club. And it'll be interesting it's coming up in a uh, short time. The U.S. men will be playing Mexico in Mexico. So that is going to be a barn burner. Uh, but, you know, we shall see. Let's move on, Tim, to the Nashville Hot Chickens. Yes. Hot Chickens. Tell me you were not disappointed in a 2 nothing loss to Dallas. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, this this game against Dallas. It was, good. It was a good game. Uh, you know, this Nashville was my former pick to win the West. Oh, oh former? Uh, former. I, yeah, well, I, I reserve my... I'm, I'm sticking with NYCFC for the whole season, but uh, uh, my West pick is, is going back and forth mm-hmm. a little bit. We'll talk more about that later. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I thought the, the game was really good, and there, there was a very special player on the pitch that... Uh, we got to see, but just give me your first impressions, Mike, on the on the Dallas Nashville uh, tilt here. Uh, FC Dallas scoring two goals in a three minute span, eighty fifth and the eighty seventh. Wow. That hurts. Uh, it's Nashville's first loss. They're one one in one four points. I mean, you know, it's okay. But they were chasing the match from the start. Uh, Nashville did have the ball at times, uh, and they what five total shots to Dallas's thirteen, rendered zero on target. That's not good. Uh, Dallas had thirteen set piece opportunities and forced Nashville to make a whopping thirty six clearances. This is what we've been talking about. Eventually, the defense 
that is so strong is going to succumb because it's like a crack in a dam. Eventually, it's going to spread, and he, and here we go. Um, Nashville really failed to involve their top dribbler, Randall Leal, in the attack, and that energy between uh, Hany Mutar that we've seen and... Uh, especially last year in 2021, and CJ Sapong looked really, really disconnected. So looking at it from the outside, if you didn't ever follow this team last year, you would not believe that they scored 55 goals last season, which was actually fourth most in the league, because I really, really don't see them getting anywhere near that. I mean, it's a very, very similar team to what they had last year, especially on the offensive side of things. So uh, somebody's gonna have to light a fire under this under this team. Um, you know, maybe Hany Mukhtar's just gonna take him a little while to kind of figure it out. Uh, you know, kind of seems like a slow starter of sorts. But whew, big big expectations for this team. And again, they're, they're not in a bad spot. They've got four points. But I just right. you, you know what? It's gonna be like a light switch. Are we gonna turn it on all of a sudden? Because again, we'll talk about Dallas, but not like Dallas is is setting the world on fire. And again, you you couldn't score any points against against Dallas. So it's a little concerning. Yeah, and you said it last week. I mean, and it proved true. Nashville needs more scoring punch. But I, I think it's it's just as much, if not more, of a formational problem than a personnel problem. Uh, they need a number 10 to play, you know, with, with their forward stacked. I mean, they're in a traditional 4-4-2, so they have their strikers spread out. And they need some kind of connection between the midfield and the strikers because they don't have that right now. And when the strikers do get the ball, they're just hung out to dry. So, you know, Sapong and Mokhtar, they're, they're scorers, they're counterattackers, they're, they're those kind of players, but neither of them are creators. And so once the ball gets that far up the pitch for, for Nashville, everything just fades out because it's those guys one-on-one with the entire defense. And that'll result in goals from time to time, but it's not a sustained attack. So I think if they found a way to, to kind of, st- I mean, they could play with, I don't think defensively they want to put another attacker on the field, but if they stack their forwards and played with a kind of number nine and a number 10, I think that would lead to more offense. And really what they need, they don't need necessarily another uh, a pure score or anything like that. Cause Sapong and, and Mokhtar do a good job with that. They need a, a creative number 10 who can take players one-on-one who can, you know, push, push the pace, beat a defender. So another defender has to come over and then that opens up Sapong and Maker more. Uh, they need a player like Alan Velasco, who we saw for the first yeah. time this game that he would be amazing on Nashville FC or SC and make a huge difference. Uh, Mike, what did you think about the, uh, the first appearance of the 19 year old Alan Velasco? How could you not be impressed? And, and again, this is a Dallas team that is a traditionally a homegrown club. They don't splash the cash. And all of a sudden yeah. they did, they went out and spent a uh, club record $7 million to sign the 19 year old DP uh, from Independiente. And he like, he's only played 26 minutes. He had to come off the bench this time, but this is a guy that had 69 first team appearances for Argentina's Independiente. So he's, he's legit. I mean, and he's only 19, so he's going to get so much better. He's so highly rated, and you saw why in his brief um, showcase. I mean, he beat not one, not two, five def- Nashville defenders. And again, this is Tim's stoic great. yellow submarine that you can't get through. Well, my man did. He beat five guys on his way to scoring in the 87th minute. I mean, he literally took the ball from midfield, ran past Dave Romney and Mayer like they were standing still. He shook <laughs> off Annabelle Goody and chipped the ball to beat Alex Mule. Okay, off a deflection, but it was still, it was fantastic. He looked so, so good. And again, this game could have been 4 nothing. I mean, Dallas put the pressure on early. They had two excellent shots on goal in the first half. And and I and I, I hope, I hope 
U.S. men's national team coach Greg Berhalter was watching when Jesus Ferreira missed right in front of the Nashville goal in the 17th minute after a solid cross from Oberon because, yeah, we can't have that at the U.S. men's national team level. So take that with a grain of salt. But overall, getting back to your point, uh, Velasco was was fantastic. Uh, yeah, every team would love to have him. Um a lot better than Jadon Shakiri, but and, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I love I love what the kid brings to the brings to the fold. Nineteen years old, he's going to be really good. Let's see how long Dallas holds on to guys because yeah, as you saw with Ricardo Pepe, who's now in Augsburg, it is a team that is traditionally a young selling team. Um, but you know they made some moves in the off season, and so anything's possible. Bringing in Paul Ariola was a nice move as well. So maybe they're going to right the ship and and start to actually build something. Yeah, I thought Ariola played well uh, in this game as well. But yeah, Velasco is a game changer. I mean, he made his debut this week and he shouldn't come off the field until Dell sells him for triple or more what they paid for him because he is incredible and, and he's just going to be such an exciting player to watch. Um, there's, a, there's a ton of young talent in the MLS right now, which is awesome. And and honestly, after just a few minutes on the field, he might be the the best of them all uh, from that from that debut. Um, and then the other thing I want to point out is Walker Zimmerman, man. And we, of course, the official position of uh, the MLS Soccer Show podcast is we love Walker Zimmerman. He is fantastic. But man, you know, as a soccer fan, you know, you, you watch the attackers, you watch the creative midfielders, you watch the, the flashy wingers. You don't often watch the big center backs, but he just commands that back line so much. And he, he's so strong in his clearances that he you, he's a guy that you can't help but notice on the pitch when he's patrolling that back line. And he does it with flair. He he, he takes these clearances. He boots them out. He just controls that whole area. Um, yes, they gave up two goals. But again, it wasn't Walker Zimmerman's fault. And so he's not as good as these guys yet, maybe someday. But, you know, you can't help but, but see his style and see... Uh, how he jumps off the screen at you when you watch him. And you can't not think of guys like Vincent Company, Virgil van Dyke, uh, Chiellini, Puyol, guys like that who are defenders and center backs that you notice uh, when they play. So Walker Zimmerman uh, is, is just a, a fantastic player to watch. And you don't often say that about center backs. I love you, man. So good. So good. That's right. right. So let's go ahead. Let's move on to, uh, to one more game that we're going to talk about in depth. That is the Portland Timbers one Austin FC zero. The Austin FC that scored 10 goals in their first two games and couldn't manage a single one in their third in match day number three. So, uh, Mike, what did you think of this game? Shocking. Shocking. No, no, it wasn't. This We all saw this coming. And I think I'm just, I, this. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I'm more I'll, shocked I'll that. that, yeah, I'm more shocked that Portland only scored one. But um, back-to-back draws against the New England Revolution and LAFC to start the year. The Portland Timbers claimed their first victory of the season. Hey, and your boy, Claudio Bravo. No, not that one. The other one. His suspension against LAFC actually had a little bit of uh, something to do with why maybe the score was so low. Uh, they had to bring in their rookie draft pick, Justin Rasmussen, made his club debut at left back and he was exposed a number of times which honestly did not help them get the ball up the pitch so I think that had a lot to do with this one nothing scoreline uh defender Bill Toloima was named to the MLS team of the week congratulations young man Toloima notched the game winner uh with a powerful diving header off a set piece in the second half really he was he had some stalwart defense and he really did help the Timbers earn that their first clean sheet of the season to go along with the first win um their midfielder Diego Chara what can you say about him he's cheap um was that he is named uh, to the bench of the week the uh the MLS uh bench player of the week 
so many different words. Um, but he, look, he played really well in the midfield. He kept Austin, Austin off the board. That's what he does. Whether or not he leads the league every year in yellow cards it, it remains to be seen. Um, but again, this marks the third week in a row that a Timbers player has earned honors for the league's team of the week. So you got to give it up to them regardless that this was actually their first win. They are a consistent bunch. That's why they are there at the end, year in and year out. It was really just a reflective strong start for the Timbers off the 2022 season. Still undefeated. Collected five points from three games. You gotta just you gotta applaud when it's necessary, and this is this is typical Portland fashion soccer. Yeah, Portland is legit. I mean, they're a good team. Yes, they they've had some issues early in the season, but I mean, they have so much team speed with the Chara brothers, with Moreno up front. I mean, that team speed in the long term is going to allow them to to be in games, to win games, to really pressure the, some of the teams with weaker back lines in the MLS. So uh, that that was something incredible to watch. And, you know, the defense, uh, despite uh, Rasmussen being exposed, as you said, a couple times, he, the the defense held up. It was an onslaught from Austin uh, in those final 30 minutes. Uh, and, you know, they Portland couldn't really capitalize on the counters, which they had a bunch of with that team speed. But uh, the, Austin really changed when they brought Ethan Finlay on. Uh, you know, Finley is just an old school winger. He, he pushed it deep into the corner. He threw in crosses. He drew corner kicks. Uh, he, he really changed that attack for Austin and, you know, overall, well, first of all, just about Finley, uh, as a guy who used to love Jesus Navas, uh, the, one of the purest wingers in, uh, the premier league back in the day, or he reminded me of his play a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, but he, although I think, uh, Finley has a goal this year, which Navas famously went like three years without scoring a goal. So not quite the same, but, uh, you know, overall, I know, I know Austin scored 10 goals in their first two games and none in their third. But I, I kind of came away with a little more confidence in Austin than I thought. Uh, yes, I, I thought they could actually win this game, but they, they're legit. And they can compete against the best teams, which Portland is one of them. And I, th- I think long term that this was a positive thing, even though they lost the game. So it was, it was, a, it was a bad beat, but you know Austin's still in it. And I think they're going to compete in the West. Well, you've heard it there first. Austin, Tim thinks they're going to compete. I think they have been exposed. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, difference of opinion. That's uh, that's what uh, this MLS what makes this show, show so great is all about. Exactly. And the other thing that makes the show so great is our Tomos Calientes. Tomos Calientes. Our hot takes. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Ole, 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 ole. So we're going to go rapid fire through the uh, other games on the docket. And if we have uh, a hot take to throw out a Tomos Calientes about these games, uh, we will uh, share them with you. So let's start with uh, another game that was was blacked out here, which is so annoying. Uh, I mean, no one showed up at Yankee Stadium because it was a blizzard uh, on Saturday. So uh, that was ridiculous. But they would have got to see uh, NYCFC score four goals get back on track to be the Eastern Conference representative in the MLS Cup uh, over CF Montreal. Mike, give us a Tomas Calientes about uh, this game. Everybody scores goals against CF Montreal because they are terrible, Tim. I'm. Uh, they gifted New York so many chances in the third. Um, it was really ridiculous. Uh, the Pigeons, your team, ended up with five shots and three goals, kickstarted by regaining the ball constantly in Montreal's half. Um, my hot take for Montreal is that Jordi Mahalovic is the only bright spot on that entire roster. He really is. Really, really good player. I still can't believe Chicago gave up on him so quickly when they did. My hot take for your New York Pigeons 
It's time to sell Tati Castellanos because Teles Mango is for real. This kid is so good. He bagged a goal and assist. He was sensational. He was all over the pitch. He made the MLS Team of the Week, presented by Audi. Uh, he was pronounced one of the league's best goal number, uh, goal added numbers at 0.73. And this kid is just electric. Okay, I mean, if you're a New York City fan, you don't want to sell, you know, you know Toddy. But if you if you could put these two on the field, but Toddy is non-existent in MLS play. Really good in Concacaf, not so much. But um, if you want to get that 15 million. Sell Toddy and let this kid Magno just play, play, play because he's got energy for days. Yeah, and then, uh, he too was great. Uh, easy on selling Toddy. Let's uh, let's pump the brakes on that one. But my hot take isn't really a hot take. It's just the truth. NYCFC is back, baby. They uh, got their got their groove back after uh, a tough start to the MLS season. We talked last week about how Champions League is tough on that. So they're getting into the flow of it. And the other thing I want to say is there was a lot of hate on Twitter and social media about the championship banner that NYCFC unfurled at Yankee Stadium. Uh, it may have been on the small side, but guess what? It is 100% bigger than any of your other favorite teams' 2021 championship banner because you don't have one. NYCFC does. Leave them alone. They are the defending champions. Even if it's hanging in the men's room. Yeah, don't worry about that. Uh, Columbus Crew 2, Toronto FC 1. Mike, hot take here. Lucas Zellerian, 14 of his 22 MLS goals are free, um, from beyond the 18-yard box. That He's from way downtown. He is fantastic. He scored four goals and bagged two assists in three games this year. He has taken over my MLS MVP power ranking. More on that later. Anyway. His teammate Derek Etienne Jr. has two goals and two assists this season. And if this one-two punch can stay relatively hot for long stretches, here's my hot take, they will contend for the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and that, that dovetails nicely with my hot take is I need to start watching Columbus Crew more because, you know, they've been on, they've had some eh, eh, matchups. They, they've been on against some interesting games yeah. that I wanted to watch more. Uh, but they're they're legit, man, and you're right. I think they are going to challenge uh, for the playoff spot for the for the MLS Cup, possibly if they make it to the playoffs. So, uh, you know, they're playing Toronto. Sorry, I don't really care to watch Toronto all that much either. Uh, but yes, I need to start uh, getting more in on the Columbus Crew, just like I need to start watching 100% less Inter Miami because they are trash. They lost to LACFC. Uh, LAFC. Sorry, I keep adding an extra C for NYCFC. LAFC 2-0 on Saturday. Mike, your favorite team, Inter-Miami. What do you got to say about them and LAFC? LAFC. Uh, before I get to the pink flamingos, I just wanted to throw in that the rumor with the Columbus crew is that they are looking to trade Jossi Zardes, so mm. Greg Berhalter will weep. Uh, but if they can get something for him, I think that that is just going to help Columbus in the long haul. Now, let's move on to the L-A-C-C-F-C-C-C-C-C-P-P uh, team. They uh, they won ugly. They really did. Um, but they look, they didn't have any horrific defenses lapses. Uh, there was an absurd deflection that kept them from having a three goals. Um, but it was an improvement from really from the last couple seasons because traditionally when they went down or they, they had some lapses in judgment, they couldn't rebound. So, hey, you know what? Inter-Miami is still a professional-ish team, so um, it's a win. Uh, this time it was Ishmael Jajore Sharadi who stepped up and scored a dagger. Um, Inter-Miami, uh, Breck Shea, center back. What? What? That's that's a problem. That And here's my hot take, and it was the same. I think it was the same hot take from last week. Phil 
Neville, you ain't lasted more than five games, my man, because you have no clue. I don't care if you everybody was hurt. Brett Shea is not a center back. It just doesn't work. And when you ultimately lose your job or for, force David Beckham to stop communicating you via BlackBerry, this is exactly why. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, putting Brett Shea at center back is ridiculous, and he proved that by tackling the first guy who beat him and, and getting drawing a red card and getting kicked out of the game. But uh, listen, I'm coming around to your point that I think Phil Neville is uh, not long for the MLS world. I never thought David Beckham would turn on his uh, on his class of 92 buddy. But uh, if he keeps putting up performances like this and putting out lineups like this that just don't make any sense, uh, Phil will be on the, uh, the short bus back to England uh, before we know it. Uh, next, I don't have much to say about this, but I think you have uh, a little bit. Houston Dynamo 2, Vancouver Whitecaps 1. Yeah, Darwin Quintero only made nine starts last season. However, he can still ball when this team uh, is is on the right foot and he's in the lineup. If he gets hurt again, I, I don't know, just collect your paycheck. But honestly, if he can stay healthy, this team can play around you know the 500 mark. They're not great, but Vancouver is worse. Uh, so Darwin Quintero's been around a long time. He's a professional. You know, he's nice. Uh, when he's when he's upright, but you know who knows how long that's going to happen for. But you know we wish him all the best. Yeah, that's uh, that's we do wish him all the best. And now we move on to Chicago Fire two, DC United zero. Hot takes here. The Fire became just the eighth team in MLS history to start the year with three straight clean sheets. You got to give a lot of credit to Ezra Hendrickson. He's the coach. He's got the team looking steady. But the hot take is seventeen year old keeper Gaga Slonina. You sir are a. G- Sorry, he's not a sir, he's a kid. You, kid, are a genuine star in the making. And if you keep this up, and it's it's early, 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 you will be gone at the end of the season. Because at 17, there are a thousand clubs over in Europe that will want you in their stead. He is the just one of six keepers in MLS history to record three clean sheets in his team's first three games. Brava, sir. Brava. Absolutely. And that, that that just steals my Tomas Caliente fire here because that's my two. Gaga, man. I love, I, I'm a huge fan of goalkeepers. I love young ones. I love big ones. I love talented ones. And Gaga checks all three boxes. So, I thought uh, you were going to say I'm a huge fan of Lady Gaga, which was. I, I am a, I'm a Gaga, a Lady Gaga fan too. So. Gaga, ooh la la. Everything about this guy uh, screams awesome, and we will talk about him more in just a bit. But first, let's talk about the craziest game of the week uh, and the most ridiculous, Real Salt Lake 3, New England Revolution 2. Whatever you do, make sure you stay for potent quotables later because I have got some fire ones from this game. Uh, It was ridiculous. It was a blizzard. It was so good to watch. Uh, RSL now sit level on points with LAFC, my pick to win the West. Atop the West after a fantastic 90 plus 2 win in New England where you couldn't see your hand and if it was in front of you. Um, The orange ball, we got to see the orange ball. It came out from the start unlike last week when RSL was forced to play against Seattle without the orange ball. What? What? Snow's white unless it's yellow and then it's a problem. I feel like I'm talking like Jerry Seinfeld. Um, RSL went down 2 nothing. To New England in the first 60 minutes, but the final 15 saw RSL notch three in what was a super impressive comeback. And honestly, my hot take is that they should play all their home matches in the snow because they just have that home <laughs> field advantage. Uh, that's a great idea. Uh, for my, this is just an absolute choke job for the New England Revolution. Uh, I wrote about this on sportscasting.com. Check that out. There's plenty of reasons why this is. They didn't start uh, their best lineup because of the game's midweek. So, 
but that, that that has they had their best players on the pitch at the end of the game when they completely choked. They gave up a two nothing lead with twelve minutes to go. Absolutely brutal. And just I don't you know the the broadcast was and the stadium was empty. The broadcast was terrible. It looked like a high school game. New England Revolution needs to get their stuff together because they they could be one of the best teams in the league and they're one of the most embarrassing as far as a presentation and, and fandom standpoint. So yeah, I think that's on Kraft honestly. Uh, yeah, you know he's been talking about building a stadium for. Years and he uh, he's just not going to whether you know it's too expensive in, in New England or Boston yeah. or New Hampshire or wherever you want to put the team. But I mean, he's got a great coach, and yet you're not you know you and you got some good players too. But yeah. you know you, yeah. you're selling Matt Turner, and there's other guys that are coming in and going, and yeah, it's just not a good look, and it's too bad because you know they're one of the originals. Yeah, Mike, and you know you're absolutely right. The word is embarrassing, which I wanted to say again because that is a perfect segue into the next game. Your embarrassing team, Orlando City. Fell two to one, killing my parlay and losing the three points to the just dreadful FC Cincinnati. Uh, do you have any hot takes on this one? Yeah, I guess I can't call them stinking Addy anymore because they went to Orlando and they claimed their first win of the season to snap a 14 game losing streak. That, oh, how could you let that happen on your home field? Uh, and again, Pato, he looked really good. He had great Lincoln play. He he had so many opportunities. And Urso got his goal that he should have had against Chicago with a great, great header. But the defense, the defense that is usually so strong for Orlando City, let them down. I was going to say Joao. Joao Martino, the kid that usually was the first overall pick by LAFC a number of years ago in their expansion uh, season. We've all been waiting for him to show up. And maybe this is why LAFC gave up on him, because he just doesn't look into it. And Ruan falls down more than most people can stand up. I just, I don't get it. This team has so much potential, and they're so aggravating and infuriating that they just have yet to put it together and 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 I it, I mean at the end of the day a lot of it's going to fall on the head coach so mm-hmm. uh, Oscar Brea I mean you've done a wonderful job you've gotten them to the playoffs a place that they haven't gone but this team needs to make that next step the Wolf family that owns the Vikings that bought this team last year has put a lot of money into Orlando City he needs to figure out what's what who needs to be on the field and we we, we talked about this a couple episodes that would they get Kara in with Pato they did and there was an opportunity where Kara had the beautiful ball on net with a header from Pato who was just dribbling around in a circle and somehow I don't know how he saw Kara going but that was that was vintage Pato and it didn't work but whether it's pulling the strings too late or or just not having the right guys in the back line Pareja missing the playoffs this year could cost you your job yeah, it could. And, you know, my, my, my quick hot take is Orlando is dead to me because they cost me money. Uh, but more than that, no, it, it's coaching. I mean, if the defense is going to be terrible, then you need to figure a way to get Pato, Torres, Kara, Junior Urso, Benji Michelle all on the field at the same time and just be an offensive team and, you know, win games three to two, four to two, four to three, whatever it is, because your defense is awful and you have these weapons. And when you're being cute about it and playing a couple at a time, it's not working and not resulting in the chances you need. So get the offense on the field. Uh, next, next game, Philadelphia union two, San Jose earthquake zero. Mike, uh, what do you think about Philly? You know, I, I love me some XG, some expected goal differential. Yes. That's one of my favorite stats in the world. Maybe, I don't know. The other one could be taken over now. Uh, big chances that that's a cool one. Uh, but Philly went out and put up three goals worth of XG, but they only got two. So one day I'm going to have to figure out how this all works. But um, it was, nah. you know what? Union were really good with the ball. Um, they really were. Jim Curtin, we talk about you players. Coach, please don't take the U.S. Men's National Team anytime soon. His 100th MLS regular season win came on just 31% possession. 
56% pass accuracy. Wow. If you looked at this game, you would have thought that Philly was, you know, a USL team. No offense. Um, but the eye test, the, the, they look like a small-time club swinging way above their weight class. And I get that that's like a Philly thing. Um, but you, I'm a little concerned because San Jose is a really bad team. And uh, I picked Philly to win the East. So I, I, I'm a little, yeah, I'm worried. They're, they'll pro- they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be there. But I, again, when you play like this, my hot take is it's not enough. It's not enough to really to win it all. They need to get better at times. Uh, but I like what Jim Curtin's doing. Like you said, they, they're swinging above their weight class a little bit. And uh, my hot take, despite what you say, Mike, is that uh, he should be the next coach of the U.S. Men's National Team. The bridge between Burhalter and Pep Guardiola when he takes over uh, for the next World Cup. So uh, the next hot take, uh, I'm going to do this one solo. Colorado Rapids 2, Kansas City nothing. And the hot take here is the Rapids are back. My original my original pick for the Western Conference is now my back to being my pick now. And and I reserve the right to change that week by week. Uh, but I abandoned the fighting Stan Kroenke's after one week uh, for the toothless Nashville hot chickens. I apologize. I'm back on the bandwagon. Here we go, Rapids. Uh, next, uh, Mike, Atlanta United 2. We moved to the Sunday games. Charlotte FC 1. Go ahead and give your hot take, which I'm incredibly jealous of because uh, I think it's a fantastic take. Thank you. Yes, well, Charlotte has kept it alive. They will not win more than two games, so I'm, I'm good on that so far. But they did play better because 21-year-old midfielder Ben Bender, the first overall pick in the Super Draft, is Charlotte's best player. No, it is not Christian Fuchs. Sorry. Uh, this kid from Baltimore, uh, he played a team-high five key passes, posted an 85% pass completion rate, and won 80% of his duels Wow. I mean, again, we talk about all these guys coming in from other leagues, other countries, and it takes them a little while to kind of hit the, the ground running. Um, not Ben Bender. And, and again, he's getting to play because this roster isn't very good. And then that definitely is going to aid him in his ability. But Ben Bender right now, my man, rookie of the year? Question mark. Yeah, listen, that's that's mine as well. Ben Bender. I'm so mad. I had him in my notes to talk about him the last game because I thought he was one of the one of the bright spots against L.A. Uh, against the LA Galaxy uh, last week, but I didn't mention him. But yeah, Ben Bender's fantastic. Number one overall pick. Uh, could be a, a U.S. men's national team star sometime soon. We'll see. But uh, he is the player to watch on Charlotte FC, and those type of players are few and far between. Last but not least, and I scrolled down far enough, so I know this is the last one. Uh, this time, unlike last week, Minnesota United 1, Red Bull 0, what the heck is going on with the Red Bulls? Last week's fireworks led to a completely anemic performance against Minnesota United. And on the other hand, like I said on last week's podcast, Minnesota United is un, is underrated. Watch out for them. They could, uh, I, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs this year, but they can be a, a real spoiler and, uh, and, and give some teams a very hard time, cost them two points, occasionally like this, cost the team three points. So uh, look out for Minnesota United. Uh, that ends the Tomos Calientes. Tomos Calientes. So, Mike, now let's rank stuff. Last week, we gave our power rankings. This week, we're going to do our top five MVP candidates after three weeks. So, let's start with you, Mike. Give us your MVP candidates. All right, I'm going to start at number five because that builds more excitement. Um, it's Yimmy Chara up in Portland. The other Chara, the young Chara, the Matrix bicycle kick, Keanu Reeves Chara, two goals. And it's not about the goals. Kind of, it's kind of about the goals. He He's just really, really good in the midfield. And I know, look, more than likely an MVP is not going to go to a midfielder. It's just a thing. Um, but he looks really good, and I'm going to give him credit where credit is due because... 
Who doesn't love a good number six or number five? I mean, these guys are underrated. We talk about, you know, I'm a huge Italian soccer fan, and these guys are, are just the backbone of great Italian teams. Uh, so I'm happy for Yimmy. Number four, Chicharito. Whether he has really good body language or really bad body language, he's important on the field to LA Galaxy. Got his second goal of the season. Um, they need him. He needs them. They need to come together, especially in a World Cup year. Eh, whether or not he's going to make the team remains to be seen, but he's important. Number three, another uh, Mexican international, Carlos Vela. Since scoring uh, those that hat trick in the opening week, he's gone a little quiet. He's still a force in the field people are going to reckon with because he's going to demand double teams most of the time. Um, we... We still did hear that really odd quote last week from from uh, Chirondolo where he's like, Carlos is always feeling something. Well, I guess he's still feeling something this week because they won. He didn't have to do too much. He's starting to slip in my power rankings as far as MVP. Now he's at three next week. We'll see. If I'm like Tim's uh, pick for the West, he'll be out. Number two, the sleeper. My man, never thought I'd put a keeper in the top five, but it's Gabriel Solanina. That's his name. Three clean sheets. We already talked about it. One of six MLS keepers ever to have three clean sheets in his team's three games. It will be increasingly difficult for a keeper to win an MVP. But Andre Blake got uh, close a couple years ago for Philly. So it is very possible that Gaga could stay in the top five. But he is 17. So we'll see once the weather gets really hot how that reacts. And number one. Lucas Zellerion, Tim, you got to start watching some Columbus crew because he's got four goals. And this is a crew team that will lull you to sleep. But look, Zellerion is a, is, a, is a professional. He knows how to score goals. And if this crew team wins, it's going to likely be because of him and his goal, uh, goal scoring prowess. So get on the bandwagon while you can. Yeah, Zellerion, someone I need to watch more of. So we'll talk about uh, him maybe next week. He might join my list soon. And like you said, I couldn't put Chicharito on with the bad body language. He just, I think he drags the team down at times more than he lifts them up. So my five started from the back and literally started from the back. Walker Zimmerman, a center back, is never going to win MLS MVP. But again, he jumps off the screen at you. He anchors that defense, possibly the best defense in the league. Yes, they let up two goals this week, but that happens in soccer. So Walker Zimmerman is just uh, one of the best. If, if this was a just purely best player in the league award, I mean, Walker Zimmerman would be right up there. Uh, number four, again, a keeper. Gaga Slonina is fantastic. I think, uh, like you said, a keeper could win if they have an amazing year. I don't know if a 17-year-old will win. Uh, but listen, I thought I was being uh, being uh, creative putting him on my list. Uh, you put him much higher than I did. So uh, I think uh, that speaks uh, volumes. Number three, uh, Jimmy Chara, I think they call. It. I don't know. I don't know how we're gonna we're gonna go with this. Chara, the the man of the many bicycle kicks, is number three. He's got goals. He's got assists. He's been excellent this year, and uh, I think he's kind of a dark horse to win this if he keeps this this kind of play up. Uh, number two, the defending MVP, uh, Carl Gill from New England Revolution. He came on late uh, during the collapse this week, so that wasn't pretty. But he's got one goal. He's got one assist. He's played well um, overall this year, and he's the reigning MVP. So I think you have to to keep him on the list until otherwise noted. And then Carlos Vea, number one, as long as he stops feeling things and gets taken off, like you said, he had the hat trick, and he is the the man that the entire defense focuses on when you're playing LAFC. So uh, I think he is uh, he could easily win this MVP. I know you know three weeks is hard to just do pure results. Uh, Zella Rayan obviously has four goals, so I mean he would be towards the top of this list if you're just doing that. But some of this is projecting out too, and I think again if he stays healthy, uh, Vela is going to get a lot of publicity, especially since he plays. You know, there's a difference between playing in Columbus, Ohio, and playing in LA when 
award season comes around and you have to keep that into perspective a little bit. So that's my five. Uh, Mike, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Carlos, he, uh, you know, he's the reigning MVP. He, he is really good, but he, we've also seen the Carlos heel before he went to new England and he was not very good. So, you know, I just, I hope with age, he can, can maintain that consistency of being really good. Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting. New England needs him to play really well. Walker Zimmerman, best hair in the league for sure. Um, but again, yeah, center back's never going to win it. It's tough, um, and that team is is you know trending treading water. Uh, and yeah, so I mean, good picks overall. I I you know personally put Zellerian on on there just because I like I like goal scorers, and I think that nine times out of ten they're going to win. But again, anything can happen. Nobody is wrong, unless of course you root for Inter Miami. Anyway. It's it's one of our favorite segments. It's kicking and screaming with producer Andrew. And we always say, like the great Ted Lasso, which is now in production, by the way. So get ready for that on Apple TV coming soon. It's always going to be so good. You could fill two internets with the foot what I don't know about football. And that's my best Ted Lasso impersonation. Kelly could be better. He looks like Rodan sculpture in cleats. Boots. Hmm? They call cleats boots. I thought you said that the trunk of a car was a boot. Also a boot. Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. Couple hot takes. Uh, they're really broad, but I've been thinking about like how do we take the MLS and make it even more accessible and interesting for the filthy casual fan like me. So I've got two takes. I want to get your guys' opinions on them. First of all, number one take, I want to see relegation and promotion, kind of like how they do uh, over in Europe. I want the worst team, or maybe the worst two teams, to be kicked down to the, the league underneath and then pull up one of those teams above. Here's kind of my idea of that. I'm originally from Detroit, and they've got a really good club team there, Detroit City FC. I mean, people love that team up there. And I think they're pretty competitive. It would be so cool if they win whatever league they're in and then whatever MLS team is just the worst, they flip-flop every year. Uh, I think that would just make things much more accessible to just, you know, all these all these cities that might not have an MLS team but have a really competitive club team. What do you guys think? Man, I, yeah, you're 100% correct, spot on. Um, and Detroit is is really a really good team. And if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they're owned by the Gilbert family who owns the Cavaliers. So they've got plenty of money, and they were in contention for one of the MLS spots. And they may still be um, as the, the league continues to expand, although I think Las Vegas is probably going to get uh, the next spot after your your new team, St. Louis, comes in the league next year. And speaking of St. Louis, real quick, not to get off tangent, uh, looks like they are going to sign Roman Berkey from Dortmund, who just two years years ago was their starting keeper in the Bundesliga and plays for the Swiss national team. So Andrew, this is awesome for you guys. This is a big time signing someone to get really, really behind. So congratulations to St. Louis. Uh, but back to your point, I love relegation. It's unfortunately not going to happen for many reasons, but, and that is, and it's sad because a lot of people don't look at MLS the same way as they do as leagues across the globe because there is no relegation. So you're saying, Oh, well, I just missed the playoffs. So I'm not going anywhere. Whereas, yeah, you get dropped three three teams basically, and all the big big leagues go down. Three new teams come up. They even have you know great playoffs in the championship in England, where you know the 
what is it, the three and four teams play, and whoever wins that game gets to go up with the top two teams that automatically qualify. So yeah, it's such a great idea. However, uh, in the States, because, you know, we don't have that in any of our sports specifically, uh, and we're these teams have spent so much money to not only come into the league, they have to basically buy in, which is, you know, a couple hundred million dollars, and then they have to spend a couple hundred million dollars, if not even more now, on a stadium. Um, it, and it wasn't built in when the MLS started 27 years ago. It's highly likely that it will never happen because it's a business. Um, and, you know, these USL teams like Louisville City, which is a really good team and, and worked in conjunction with Orlando City for a long time and Detroit. And there's a lot of good teams that, have, that are really good. Even uh, the Rowdies in Tampa who have been around forever and ever since the days um, of Pele and such. Uh, it's just, yeah, since it's a business, it's, it won't happen, unfortunately, because there's too much money at stake and there's just... Um, I don't know. Yeah, if it was in play when MLS started many, many years ago, but again, with between the USA, USL and the NASL and the MLS, it's it would just be like having, you know, the Yankees don't make the playoffs and then all of a sudden you're bringing up um, the Trenton Thunder or the Columbus Clippers or one of their minor league system teams. And, and, and even though there are minor league system teams like Orlando City has an Orlando City B, uh, it would really just be, you know, I think the level of play is just so, so different. You know, these guys are professionals, whether they're 17 or 37, um, they know the game. And if you're in that minor league system or you're in the USL, you've either gotten to the MLS at one time and couldn't stay there or you're just not, unfortunately, good enough to be at that level. So I think that there's a lot of variables that come into why. Uh, but I would love to see it personally. I think it would be great. And you're right. It would create much more fan interest and it would that these teams like in England that fight to stay above relegation, it's a battle. I mean, who cares about Wofford? But then you look at, hey, Everton, with all these great signings they made at the transfer deadline and bringing in Frank, Frank Lampard, they're, they're tied for that uh, final spot to stay up. And this creates excitement among teams that are just really, really poor. So there is that lacking. Um, but again, in the MLS, we have the playoff system that teams in Europe don't have. So there's there's good that you got to take with the bad. A lot of people love the playoffs. A lot of people don't. So, you know, we... we I guess we can only have so much, unfortunately. But as, as Americans, we want it all. It's not going to happen, but I love it. It's a great take, Andrew. Yeah, and just real quick, I, I, I agree. I would love to see relegation, and but you're right. Financially, it just doesn't make sense. And, and part of that is because of support-wise. I mean, you know, the reason relegation works in a country like England is you have to realize that there's, you know, there's five or six levels of professional football in England. So there's 100-plus teams over a country in the, the, that's the size of Alabama. You know, and so that's how crazy they are about about their football over there. And so if a, a tiny team like, you know, AFC Wimbledon, right, just builds up and wins and, and makes a Premier League, they have a big enough stadium to support the fans and sell out and really get into it and make money that way as well to compete with, uh, with some of the bigger teams in the Premier League. But, I mean, you look at my hometown club of the Rochester Rhinos, who have a, a tiny stadium and it's in Rochester and... It's great. They get support, but they wouldn't get the astronomical support they would if they got to the MLS because just Americans and Rochesterians and, and that kind of things don't care about soccer like they do uh, in, in other countries. So it's a great idea. I would love to see it. Unfortunately, financially, I agree with Mike. It's just not that realistic. Well, shoot. Okay. Well, here's my here's my <laughs> hot take number two. Tim, I'm going to pitch this one to you first because uh, right. we had a really good discussion about the last one. I think this one's just going to devolve into insanity. Uh, I was thinking about this last night before I was falling asleep, so that tells you what this hot take is about. Again, this is all uh, just based on how do we make the sport even more accessible to a normal American. Uh, my idea, last 10 minutes of the match, including uh, overtime or whatever the hell you call it, 
what you do, they take the normal ball, pick it up, roll out like a, a sparkly yellow ball, and it's worth two goals whenever it goes in. What do you guys think? Ooh, like the money ball. Okay. The money ball. The money ball idea. That's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, they, we did see the orange ball, as Mike mentioned. They play with an orange ball in the snow. So you, you already have the different color ball kind of thing in effect. Uh, yeah, I don't know about rolling it out late. I mean, listen, uh, soccer is one of the oldest and most uh, well-loved sports in the world. So I don't think you're going to get a fundamental change like that. Uh. I think, though... If, if you're on kind of the right track, one thing uh, Americans love, and you see this, they did this to lacrosse, which of course doesn't have the following that uh, that uh, soccer does around the world, but they did implement a, a, a three-point, a two-point, and a three-point line of sorts uh, like that. So maybe maybe not kind of mm. uh, change it with the timing, but maybe if you score from outside that 18-yard box, it's a two-point goal and, and a three-point goal even further back. So uh, yeah, it'll never happen, but... Uh, you know, I wouldn't. I I, I like that uh, the MLS is traditional soccer, and that's why players come and for the older players and stuff like that. But you know, listen at the lower levels in America. I think adding some fun stuff like that wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Yeah, give it a shot. Give it a shot. You know what? And, and going back to MLS, how it wasn't always traditional soccer in, when it premiered in '96. Literally, overtime was a one-on-one -on -one with a goal scorer and a goalkeeper. And they would run at one another. There is footage of this. Go on YouTube. And Tony Miola, who was one of the greatest U.S. men's national team players of all time. He's in the U.S. Hall of Fame. Fantastic soccer player. Man, he's on satellite radio, Sirius XM. He's awesome. Great, great announcer. He works with the Chicago Fire now. He talks all the time about this, how he loved it. He would love to be the keeper, the big body in net with speed. And he, look, these two men running at each other and the keeper's going for the ball and the, and the guy's trying to chip him or they're trying to go around him. I mean, that's exciting. It kind of also put MLS in a negative light across the globe because it was like a gimmick. Um, it's kind of like an NBA if we, because of Steph, Cuff, Steph Curry's ruined the three-point shot, now we need a four-point shot. We need a five-point shot from half court. Um, but, I, but I do think it'd be awesome in uh, like, the, the all-star game for, per, for instance. So if I, I'm just lucky enough to go to an all-star game a couple years ago when Orlando, it was here in Orlando city and they played Atletico Madrid. Now, if, if something ever happened where you weren't able to get these giant clubs from across the pond, um, I think maybe implementing something like that, to maybe like, a, like a, like the pro bowl in the NFL needs to go away because it's just so boring and it's, oh, it's touch football. Yeah, it's terrible. And how the skills competition is so much more exciting. You could almost do something like this because the MLS does do their own type of skills competition the night before. Uh, and, you know, and it's it's super ex exciting. It's kind of very similar to if you ever play uh, FIFA on, on PlayStation. You try to hit the hit the bullseye or you try to get the ball into the giant bucket. You try to chip it in. So I think, yeah, if you had if we did away with these European clubs or they didn't want to come here anymore for whatever reason, hey, let's go with the two-point shot. Let's go with the three-point shot. We talked about Zellerion, how uh, 13 of his 14 of his goals are from over the, you know, 22 yards. Hey, that should be worth more than two goals. I think Andrew's on to something here. Let's go. Let's write it up. Let's send it to uh, Don Garber. I like it. And hey, Andrew, real quick before we say goodbye uh, for the day here. Tony Miola, do you, do you know his little trivia? Do you know his NFL connection? No. So Tony Miola, the goalkeeper for uh, the U.S. men's national team in the like early to mid-90s, uh, as his career was winding down, he actually tried out to become the punter for the New York Jets. So... He did not make the team, but it was a big deal that uh, he was going to be the punter for the Jets. He can make the team now, though. He probably would. He could. He could play. He could play now. Yeah, and I'm a Jets fan, so. Weren't the uh, the Grammaticas uh, pretty good soccer players? Is that is that who they were? Yeah, Martine and uh, uh, John. 
I think his name was. Yeah. No, that wasn't his name. That wasn't. I'd like to see more NFL players in MLS and more MLS players in the NFL. Let's let's just let's shake it up. Who is the kicker? Who is the kicker? Badge Michael Badgley, wasn't it? A couple years ago, he was an MLS um, mm-hmm. player, and then he signed with the Chargers. I forget where if he was with the Colts last year. I know he wasn't he the gentleman who was kicked by Urban Meyer, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yes. Yes. So. There you go. We've got, we've got a little MLS connection. I just hope that if that happens, that they stay as kickers because the average size of the MLS player is probably about 5'8", 160 pounds. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if any of those guys are going to be playing middle linebacker anytime soon. But uh, yeah. Andrew, thank you very much for your hot takes. Yes. We will uh, see you next week as we move on to the uh, final portions of the show. First, Mike, let's go into our potent quotables. And the categories are potent potables... There's two quotes you found this week that uh, are interesting from the uh, Real Salt Lake, New England Revolution debacle. Slowly becoming my favorite segment, Tim. Got to be honest with you because these are these are gold. I try to find the most ridiculous, funny quotes I can. Uh, first one comes from reigning MLS MVP Carlos Gil uh, on the blizzard-like conditions in Salt Lake. He says, quote, it's impossible to play football today. He then goes on to say, I cannot talk with my teammates I cannot run. I cannot do anything. It's impossible. It's not football. Stop the effing game. Just stop the effing game. I mean, why is it so hard? Listen, Gio is Spanish, so, you know, he grew up, I'm sure, in a lovely place where the weather is warm and sunny and beautiful all the time. But listen, buddy, this is soccer in America, especially in March. This is what you're going to get. The U.S. men's national team almost gave Honduras frostbite the other day, almost killed some players by playing in sub-zero temperatures. This is what we do in America, so shut up. Merka, get your snow boots out and kick the ball, man. That's right. That's what we do. But it's funny because Bruce Arena, who my next potent quotable is from he oh he, not and this isn't going to be but he spoke to that as well and he basically just said hey both teams had to play in the snow uh it's not great but we've played in the snow before man i love bruce arena i really he's just such a great guy and i'm gonna go and this this quote here is why you love him even more we talk about var on this show because it is atrocious andrew calls it vcr and he's right it might as well be because it's outdated um, Bruce Arena on VIR not being looked at when Pablo Ruiz connected with Justin Glad on a free kick in the 80th minute to tie the game. Uh, immediately, Revolution players began to protest and replay showed why. The ball was clearly moving when it was struck by Ruiz. Now, here's the quote from my favorite coach. Yeah, the ball was moving. They looked at it and they said it didn't move. We have the most inefficient use of VAR probably in the world. We looked at it. The ball was moving. Having said that, though, they still got the goal and all of that. But there's no point in having VAR if they can't look at that tape and make that decision. What can I say? You know, I mean, that's exactly what I said, uh, you know, the Chicago Orlando City game. Um, To counteract that, the officiating crew offered their insight when asked why the play wasn't stopped and why VAR wasn't used. They responded, the incident is outside the VAR protocol and VAR is not permitted to intervene. Then exactly what Bruce said, why have it? If you can't review everything, don't review anything, Tim. Yeah, VAR, put that to one side. I mean, things are reviewable, things aren't, whatever. I'm not a fan of VAR, I'm not going to defend it, but it is what it is. And, you know, the ball was rolling because of the wind in this ridiculous weather, and it wasn't malicious, uh, or, you know, I don't know how if it helped uh, the free kick or anything, because... There was, it was windy because it was crappy weather. There were no fans in the stadium to help block the wind because you have a crappy stadium in New England. You have no fans. And 
you had terrible set piece defending. That's the reason that uh, they lost that game, not because of the ball rolling a little bit. So shut up, Bruce Arenas, as well. You 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 stop that talking about my Bruce. He he's right though. It's physics. The ball is moving. It's already in motion. It's happening. It's easier to kick. So I I look. I understand your point, but I also understand Bruce's point. Here's my solution. I'm gonna take a page out of Andrew's book. We're going to the NFL. A little man is going to put his fingers on top of the ball and we're going to hold it. Because you know what? The letter of the law says you can't kick a moving ball on a set piece. So I'm going to put my little fingers, my tiny baby hand on top of this ball and it's not going to move. Why is that so difficult? Why has that not been thought of from the people that make a lot more money than you and I to, to, to figure out the MLS? I mean, it seems simple enough. Oh, what? Because we can't touch the ball unless we're a goalkeeper? Then go get Tony Miola, put him on the pitch, and let him hold the ball down. Because, I mean, honestly, that seems like a pretty good idea to me. I, I love that idea, actually. So uh, I'm on board with that. But, you know, I, I don't know. The ball rolling didn't seem like the biggest problem of choking up a two-goal lead with 12 minutes to go. So let's, uh, let's not go... Too too, too deep on that, Bruce. I'm sorry. But uh, last segment. Like, you know what? Let's forget the last segment. Um, betting on football is not fun. Uh, as I learned this weekend. So, yeah. okay. Well, I guess we, we're, we're doing, doing it. it. If, uh, we're doing it. Well, no, we're going to make some changes to it, too. Because, uh, you know, we, we haven't been... We haven't been betting the same exact amount of games we did last week, so we're going to figure it out. It's going to be seven games from now on, okay? So we're going to keep it even because I'm wiping the floor with you as we currently speak. So I don't want to hear any, well, you cheated, you did less games, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear any of that when it comes because I want the golden boot, and I will win the golden boot. Fair enough. Well, right now you have the lead. You are 7-4 and four overall. I am 5-6 and six overall. You got there with a 3-2 and two week last week. I got to where I am with a 2-5 and five. Uh, week last week. Now, listen, if that was a three and four week, if Orlando didn't job me super awfully, uh, it would look a little bit better, but that's where we stand. Uh, I did not know these new rules, so I did not pick seven games. Uh, I will do that next week. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and give me your seven. Then I'll give you my, uh, five. I'm, you know what? I'm not emotionally capable of picking seven games this week after last week. So I'm going to go with five and we'll start the new rules next week. How's that sound? Yes. We're starting the rules because, uh, the graphics I made that you can check out on ML soccer show on any of your favorite social media networks hold seven spaces. So that's exactly why I made this rule. It's simple enough. You know, I just rinse and repeat anyway, starting with the easiest game you'll ever pick, DC plus 195 over into Miami. Don't take into Miami ever until they figure out what the heck is going on. Um, this one breaks my heart because it's going to be a draw. It's going to be Galaxy plus 275 to draw with Orlando City. Um, my heart wants to say that Orlando City figures it out, but my brain says that the Galaxy will probably beat them. So to come to some kind of conclusion where I don't cry, I'm going to say a draw. Usually I don't bet on a draw because it's very difficult, but here we go. Uh, Portland, another easy one for me. I know Dallas looked better, but I, I really believe in Portland. Plus 235 over Dallas. The Revolution have got to figure it out against Charlotte because it's Charlotte. So take the Revolution plus 105. Then Tim's favorite. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is Tim's pick to win the West next week. Minnesota plus one, a negative, excuse me, negative 140 over San Jose. San Jose is terrible. Then we go to Seattle plus 225 over Austin. How? How is this plus 225? Get your bets in now because 
someone made a mistake. I have to, I, I mean, I, I'm probably not, but it, you know, I use uh, with DraftKings. So you go with Seattle all day over Austin. And then the other one, it's not great money, but it, it pretty much is a, a shoe in. So if you're going to do a parlay, I would take LAFC. Yeah, it's negative 250, but yeah, it's Vancouver. And yeah, Vancouver is terrible. So take LAFC and do with it what you will. Tim, even though you're cheating and only picking five games, what do you got? All right, well, I just added a six as we were talking. So I am going to go with Dallas and Portland draw. Uh, that's plus 240 on FanDuel. So we, you know, we, we come at the different odds here. But uh, so that's my six. Maybe I'll add a seventh before we put the graphics up. But uh, a draw between those teams, uh, like you said, Minnesota uh, should take care of San Jose. The earthquakes are not very good. Uh, Minnesota's the favorite, uh, minus 145 there. Uh, LAFC, minus 280, an even bigger favorite over Vancouver. Take them as well. And uh, moving on. Oh, yeah, uh, DC United over Toronto. I like them at plus 185. Uh, the Revolutions, I think they get back on track. And again, uh, Stinkinati and Inter Miami are playing each other this week, so I'm not going to touch that game with a stick. But I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay following the teams that I think aren't that good. So the Revs minus 115 over Charlotte, and then uh, last, well, not last for now, uh, is Chicago Fire plus 105 over Cincinnati. I think Chicago Fire found something a little bit in that DC United win, and uh, with their 17-year-old Gaga in goal. They, uh, they should shut down the uh, Kansas City offense, which uh, is a bit of a misnomer because Kansas City doesn't have a ton of offense right now. So those are our best bets of the week. Uh, as Mike mentioned, there will be graphics, which are awesome, that will appear on social media. Mike, tell us exactly what the social media accounts are, where those graphics will appear. Do you want the correct way to, I should say, the, the show name? Or do you want the... Give a bunch of different ways okay. so you can find it. So yeah. MLS Soccer Show is the incorrect way. The correct way is ML Soccer Show. And that is at Twitter, that is at Facebook, that is at Instagram. But if you're going to watch the show on the YouTubes, you're going to want to type in MLS Soccer Show. And yes, Andrew, we say soccer twice because we care so much about the game twice. So please go on, subscribe, become a fan, become a friend, like it, like the show, give us a thumbs up, leave a review. And if you're going to listen to it on your favorite podcast network, we suggest Apple Podcasts or Spotify because Spotify needs more money now that they're paying uh, Barcelona, I don't know, $100 billion. See, Tim, this is how Barcelona can buy players now because it is the Spotify Camp New and they are sponsoring the kit. Amazing. Just a brilliant bit of business by Barcelona. So good for you. Barcelona actually has been talking about years for buying an MLS club, which I would love to see because then we might get messy over here. So let, let's make that happen, Barcelona and Spotify. You got a lot of money. I remember Barcelona... Um, the man that owns the uh, he wanted to buy Arsenal. The man that owns Spotify, Daniel Hag or something like that. He's yeah, the Swedish guy. Exactly, he's got a billion dollars. He should buy an MLS team yeah. too. So why not? So that's been our show. Episode four is in the can, right? Three, four. Three. Episode three is in the can. We've done a lot of these shows. It's just you know, it's just a thing. But we appreciate you guys as always. We've had a lot of fun. To our producer, Mr. Andrew, you the man. Love your hot takes. Tim, fantastic as always. Me, do better next week. All right, guys. Talk to you soon.